Vincent Sabonis, two-man game inside. Domas, dominant, dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid, and he got some dog in. And the steal, they can tie it with a three. Murray, yes! A Murray miracle in the desert! Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunes, and today, as always, we got Chris Watkins, Blackdown Sports 1140 on here. What's up, Chris? I'm doing great, man. As always, sounds great. Um, I think this is, we announced that I was going to be doing these regularly, and then uh, we kind of hit a, hit a little uh, rough patch with, with our schedules syncing up, but I'm excited, man. I'm excited to finally get these things going, uh, ready to, to pulse it up. The Kings have been killing it recently, so a uh, lot of stuff to talk about. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we've been busy for sure, and, and the Kings have too, getting some wins. You know, they are won three in a row at this point. Um, after that seven-game win streak, they lost three to Atlanta, Boston, and Phoenix. I thought those were understandable. Uh, for reasons we've been over, and those are just really good teams, to be blunt. And then you come out and take care of business against Indiana, the Clippers that are without four of their players that would probably be starters, obviously Kawhi, PT. I would say four of their best players. Yeah, Norm Powell and Luke Kennard. Um, And then you come out against Chicago, a team that's been struggling this year, and take care of business there. It got a little bit close Mm -hmm. for a second there. Um, But I I think they've done extremely well in these last games, and they're 7-3 and in their last 10 I think the big thing is the defense trending upwards. And if you just look at the last 10 games for every team in the league, the Kings are still fourth and off or fifth in offensive rating. They're fifth in defensive rating in the last 10 games, which is insane. Leaves them at ninth in net rating. Um, the, the rotation is obviously figured out. Um, the rotation's obviously figured out. And it seems like Casey Arcpala is kind of flirting with that. Also, Trey Lyles, it had to do with Trey Lyles being out for a non-COVID-related illness. But, like, what do you think has allowed the defense to work so well as of late? I think it's honestly just the time that they've been given. Like, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and it was kind of – it was pretty unrealistic for us to just expect this team to come out immediately out the gate and be a great defensive team. Just like with the amount of new pieces that they, they're they trying to, you know, integrate into the system with Malik Monk and, and Kevin Herter and Ke- – uh, Ke- I almost said Keon Ellis. Uh, Ke- not yet. Keegan Murray, if they were really trying to be a good defensive team. Uh, right. Keegan Murray, uh, Casey Akpala was in the starting lineup to start the season. That was an adjustment. Um, just all of the new pieces that this team was trying to integrate as well as integrating an entire new system, a whole new way of communicating. And, and you know, this team wasn't going to go from historically terrible defensively to, I mean, <laughs> we see them as a mid uh, average defensive team right now. But, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't going to happen overnight. That kind of thing takes time, takes communication, takes trust to a level of trust of, hey, like if I am going to go fly out on this shooter, I need to be able to trust that it's built in the rotation that everyone's going to be able to, uh, to kind of do their job and, and, uh, and recover for me. And, you know, it's finally happened. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's, I can't even think of the last time that the Kings were even solid on defensive, on the defensive end, even when they were really, really good, they weren't very, uh, they weren't anything special defensively, but what we've seen for the past 10 games, you just listed there, they have been excellent on the defensive end, like tops in the league, um, which is not something I ever, ever thought that I would see. And I, I think it has a lot to do <clears throat> with 
with uh, honestly Demonis Sabonis, who's who's been really big on the defensive end, uh, especially you know he he hasn't been an elite rim protector by any stretch of the imagine uh, imagination. But I've brought up a couple times uh, here in the past couple days of, of when remember when Mike Brown pointed out his, his communication ability being that of Draymond Green level. Um, you know, it sounded insane at the time, but I think we see now, especially why that's so important and, uh, big ups to Domas, but also Davion Mitchell has had, it seems like, um, a larger role in these past couple games, uh, coming off the bench and really he he's just been incredible. I just think the entire team has bought in, uh, and it's been really crazy to see because I, I did not think that the, they had the personnel to do it, but it, it's really a testament to Mike Brown and his, his his coaching acumen i mean this is exactly what we were promised we were promised that this team was going to be a hard-nosed defensive team first and uh an offense would would come naturally and i think we're finally starting to see that saying that though their offense has honestly been pretty poor the for the for that same 10 game stretch so i wonder if there's any do you think that there's any correlation between that not really i mean like it still has them fifth in offensive rating i I think that it has felt poor but that's like relative to i think what we kind of got used to right where they were shooting 50 40 90 every night yeah yeah like herder slowed down a little uh De'Aaron slowed down a little which by the way he said at practice the other day that um he he just kind of was sore but also there was a bug going around and i think everybody can relate to that i think there's a lot of people getting sick right now Um, and I, I think that would make sense, but I also understand why people are a little bit worried about De'Aaron maybe falling back into, um, I don't, I, I get why people are worried that maybe what we saw at the beginning was just a streak that he's going to fall out of, because I feel like that's what we've seen in years prior. I don't think that's what's happening. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think that he's still been really good on the defensive end, which is something coach Brown talks about and we'll get to in a little bit here, but I think their offense has still been solid in that time. Um, and on the whole year now, they're still at fourth in offensive rating. They're up to 16th in defensive rating. There's only like about 0.3, 0.4 difference within like yeah. eight spots right around that range, which is why they jumped so much from, I think it was 22 to 16 just after the Chicago game. Um, and I do think it has to do a little bit with like the teams they played. You know, like these last three teams are not good teams. Like I, mm-hmm. Indiana's record is fine. I think they're worse than what their record gives off. I think they've had one of the easier schedules in the league. Um, and, and Tyrese had a tough game in that one. It was probably just an emotional night for him. Like the Clippers had four of their best guys out. Chicago has been really struggling this year. Yeah. So I, I think that not to take away from what we've seen from the Kings, but like it's because it's still very good to see them taking care of business in the games they're like, quote unquote, supposed right. to win. I think that that was something that was missed a lot last year. And that's just something the good teams do. You just take care of the games that you're supposed to. And if you do that, you steal a couple of the ones that maybe you're not supposed to win, then you got a good team. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing so far. So I I think there's a lot of things that worked. I think the two guys that you pointed out are probably the biggest factors. Um, Sabonis has been really good defensively. I mean, for all the physical limitations he has when it comes to rim protection, I think he's doing everything you could possibly ask from him. And he's not dealing with the same sort of foul trouble. He did a little bit against LA and it happens here and there. Um, and coach Brown mentioned something post game of like Domas is really good when he's not fighting certain people. And I won't say what people. <laughs> he's a referee. Uh, yeah. And I thought that was pretty funny. So, and, and I, I hate to, bitch about calls but there's some man that i'm like Bro, what the hell is happening here they do not love that man i don't know what it is but like 
he could I think I've said this before, but like Domas is seems to be one of the nicest people in the league. Like he's an incredibly nice guy, always really soft spoken, doesn't really like ever express too many angry emotions. And the referees don't give a shit. Like they just do not fuck with him for whatever reason. Uh, like he he gets no whistles, he gets no benefit of the doubt, and it seems like you know he he's found himself in foul trouble more times than not this season. And you know, not only is it affecting his defense, which is incredibly important for the Kings as he's their only rim protector, but offensively we know his importance as as a you know he he the offense really funnels through him, and and you know all the good things that the Kings do on offense in a large part is because. Uh, of of Tamana Sabonis and his screen setting and his playmaking ability. So uh, without him on the floor, the Kings are a completely different team. And uh, if he if he, you know, now he might be able to figure it out. But I I keep looking ahead with how well they're playing. Come postseason time, foul trouble is a very real thing that ends up killing killing teams in the playoffs. As Kings fans know uh, from the early two thousands. I mean, if your big men get in trouble. It, it it becomes really bleak really fast and you know if 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 they can't get that solved that's definitely something uh to con- be concerned about but um it's not Domas's fault at all i i think he's played great defense and a lot of the calls that he gets called for are like so ticky tacky where it's like he's going vertical but maybe just hunches over a little or you know he gets kneed in the stomach and that causes him to lean forward it's just a lot of really small stuff that um i you just hope he eventually stops getting called for as maybe the, the team gets more respect. But um, I, I don't really put much blame on him, him for that. No, me either. Like, I mean, there's like fighting for rebounds and someone goes oh, flying. Like, bro, out was Smith. that last night where he got, he got one call where, uh, yeah, he, it was over the back, but it was like on a tip out and he barely, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's the rebounding ones. I think that really are, are super frustrating. They've definitely been tough, but I, I think positionally he's done really good at deterring shots. Um, the other guy you mentioned, Davion Mitchell, they closed with him last night in Chicago um, because he was just bluntly the best option to guard Zach Levine. I thought they probably should have closed with him against Phoenix. I thought he was the best guy that was yeah. trying to slow down Booker. Um, I, I've been critical of of uh, Davion in the past, and I still think there's work to be done offensively, but like undeniable he comes in and changes the tides of things defensively like the ball pressure and disruptiveness that he has towards opposing initiators like he's the only guy on the team that could do that I think Casey Paul actually is the other one who we're starting to see a little get a little bit more run but like I've really liked what we've seen from from Davion defensively if he can start to knock down threes at a better rate I think it's probably more and more often that you see him in those closing lineups and getting more minutes alongside Savonis. But I, I think the one other guy actually that's been uh, pretty good on defense and, and really it's, it's everybody, you know, it, it's an effort from everybody. I think HB has been solid defensively. I think Murray has had um, a lot of progress there. He still has his typical rookie mistakes. And I think that's the hardest thing to lead to learn coming into the league. He's talked about that. Coaches talked about that, but I think we saw progress there. I think there was a block he had last night on, I remember if it was DeRozan or Levine. I thought it was one of the best defensive plays he's had all year. Um, I, he I was think on DeRozan. Herter, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think Herder's picked it up. He was honestly kind of a liability at times earlier this year, and I think he's been fine there. I think Malik Monk has his moments of being willing to come over and protect the rim with verticality and kind of like put his body on the line. Same with Terrence Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that De'Aaron Fox, for the offensive struggles that he's had recently and 
maybe that's because of what I mentioned earlier. Maybe he's a little sick or maybe he's just a little beat up um, because games are physical and it's a grueling season. Um, But during that whole process, I think he's been playing really good defense. I think it's some of the best defense we've seen from him. We've seen it in flashes, um, but we're starting to see it a little bit more consistently. And I want to play this clip. Um, I asked coach about it last night after the win against Chicago that took the Kings to 13 and nine. So here's coach Brown talking about Fox on the defensive end. Yeah, coach, beginning of the year, you talked about how the potential you thought that De'Aaron had on the defensive end. Sure. What you've seen so far, specifically these last couple games, do you feel like that potential has been actualized? A hundred percent. He, you know, he might not have scored the points that everybody's expecting him to score. Uh, you know, but, but I, he's been phenomenal leading the charge defensively. Um, he, in his position, he's got to set the tone for us, uh, and he has. And he set the tone yesterday, he set the tone today. And in my personal opinion, I think that's what helped us throughout the course of the game on the defense end of the floor. And if we can get that from him night in and night out, his score is going to be there. He can score in so many different ways. Um, just staying consistent on the defensive end of the floor, being a presence, is what uh, is what we need from him more than anything else. Because teams are so good, especially at the point of attack in this league, that if you can control that to a certain degree, or at least let teams know we're going to be here every play. The way we score, the way we pass, the way we space the floor, and our pace and all that, we'll have a chance most games. I am with it. I mean, I think this team is just damn good on offense and is going to go as far as their defense can take them. And I don't exactly know how far that is at this point, but I I mean, I think that we're seeing positive trends, you know, like, do you feel like this is the best we've seen De'Aaron play defense as of late? Might be muted. I think you're muted, my guy. Funny stuff there. Uh, <laughs> you know, I haven't really noticed him as much defensively off ball as I did in the beginning of the season. I felt like, you know, he, he really was was playing the passing lanes. Uh, I think the best that I've ever seen him to start this season getting felt like every night he was getting a, a steal and a breakaway. Um, I haven't really been paying too much attention to his on-ball defense um, as much as Davion has stuck out. But, I mean, traditionally um, in the past we saw – I remember last year there were a couple games where, you know, for example, you go against a Portland and CJ and Dame both end up with 25, 30-plus. We have not seen that at all this year. We, You know, we see Devin Booker go crazy. But, um, you know, we have not seen opposing guards have their – incredible nights against the Kings. And I think that that to me is, is a great sign that De'Aaron's been playing well, but I, I honestly haven't been paying too much attention to his on ball defense. Yeah. I, I think that he's been like engaged. I mean, he, I think him not standing out on defense right. is just generally a good thing, right. you know, like he's not being hidden at all. That's for sure. Right. Right. Shout out Tyrese. That's right. definitely not what is going on at all. Um, I, I think that he's been, I mean, you know, he he's, yeah, I mean, he, you know, as, as the team's best player also, like, uh, you know, it, it's great to see him step up and, you know, when he's not playing well offensively to still, you know, Mike Brown makes points of, you know, yeah, you're not, you know, he he, t- he mentioned it more about Keegan when he was having his offensive struggles. What else are you doing besides scoring? Can you still, 
get your nine, 10 assists? Can you get rebounds? De'Aaron is rebounding at the highest rate of his career at five, uh, five rebounds per game. He's never averaged that many before. Um, he, he's, you know, he's still managing to make impacts in other places. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, there are five staples on defense that I think they've done a good job of continuing to get better at are uh, communication, ball pressure, not giving up middle, being physical without fouling. I thought specifically that second quarter against Chicago was one of the best quarters I feel like I've ever seen from the Kings. Um, and then the fifth staple for them on the defensive end is just multiple efforts. I feel like all that's kind of come together for them here as of late, but this road trip is going to be a very good test. Um, before we get on to Malik Monk, who's been playing phenomenal and coaches uh, talking about his sixth man of the year, understandably so, and we'll dive into that a little. Uh, I want to backtrack a tiny bit to an article I wrote like a week and a half ago or so, um, focused around De'Aaron Fox's improvements and the work that he did with Luke Lauks throughout the course of this summer that has him, you know, shooting on 23 points a game, 51% from the field, 38% from three, 81% from the line. He's been ridiculously efficient, um, and I think it's a testament to not only Luke, Coach Luke Lauks, who came over, was one of the first phone calls along with Jordy Fernandez that Mike Brown made when he got the job in Sacramento. Those are the three guys that were all part of that Nigerian national team, um, but also a testament to the work that Fox put in. So um, I, I had that article up a while ago on the Kings Herald, probably about a week and a half at this point, but I think it's worth it to throw the audio in here as well because it was a great conversation with Luke. Uh, so I, 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 it was honestly mutual from all sides. Obviously, my big thing with Fox was if, if he can shoot at a consistent average or above average level, everything else opens up. Teams can, can't go under as much. The paint's going to open up more because they have to pressure him, and it, it'll just make the offense explode. He was on board with it, and even Ursay was like his main thing this this summer has to be not only his form and function of his shot, but just getting confident and believing in what he's doing is going to translate to the games. Um, so that was one of the key areas of focus. Obviously with Mike, um, defensively, both his intensity, um, his awareness, so like watching film, of not only him falling asleep, but like when he is locked in, how lethal a defense could be. Uh, so those those two things, uh, rim finishing, his touch in the paint, he was already at an extremely high level. Like he and Jaw, when they touch the paint, the offensive efficiency goes through the roof. So if he can maintain that, add to his jump shot, and then lock in defensively, we felt like if he could do those things, our team would benefit so much for it. Right. What were the specifics to Yeah, a few things. Number one, shot selection was a big thing. I, I felt like he took a lot of shots that were really tough to make to start and trusting that if he got off the ball, the ball would find him again. Steve had a, had a saying with KD that like the ball gravitates towards the best people on the court. And I don't, I don't think he fully believed in that because it hadn't. So understanding that, hey, I got a really tough shot I could probably shoot, get off the ball, let it move let the defense shift, and then when you get it back, you have such an easier shot. That's number one. Shot selection can help percentages go up through the roof without even changing anything. Number two, his, his follow-through, a lot of times he would get, I don't want to say lazy, but he would let his follow-through fall instead of just sticking it. 
and because of that his arc was less if you stick your follow through automatically your arc is going to rise because naturally when your when your follow through falls like it's hard to shoot it up while this is coming down does that make sense yeah yeah um those were the two biggest things like elbow above eye it's like just an old saying like when you follow through right your elbow has to be above your eye um and then number three his his balance on a shot a lot of times especially off the dribble his shoulders were going backwards which you're you're fighting against yourself at that point like your momentum should always be not always you can shoot some fadeaways but generally especially catch and shoot your momentum should be going towards the basket so you're not fighting against yourself and again that will make your arc fall and a lot of times hit the front of the rim those are the big things a lot of it was through form shooting um working out like right around the charge circle like hundreds of reps and then working our way back every shot the same all the way back to three-point line and then you add in the dribbling and then to me another big focus was getting him to play off the hit and handback knowing he's gonna be playing with um, Sabonis being comfortable flying off handbacks they go under you just stop at three-point line and shoot it so. all right long ass clip I included, uh, but I thought it was a, a good conversation with Luke. You might still be muted, my guy. Um, and <laughs> shout out to the weekend. Uh, Malik has his little XO tattoo. That has <laughs> Bro, to be I see that inspired. all the time. I'm always yes. like, this guy really was about it. He definitely got that tattoo in like 2012. Right. He's got that one. He's got like a 999 one, which is Juice World, somewhere on his leg. Oh, my uh, God. He's got something else. I, I got to ask him about he's it. He's got a Spotify wrapped on his body. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I really hope all you uh, all you 24-hour fitness hoopers were taking notes there because Luke was, Luke was dropping absolute dimes. Like, you usually got to pay for that kind of insight. Bro was uh, – yeah, I mean, I thought that was that was a great clip there, uh, him talking about, you know, De- De'Aaron's – elbow above his head and, and the follow through as well um i thought that was great stuff man great shit yeah luke was luke was super great uh as you could tell i said about four words and he just gave me everything yeah. i could ever want in the world so kd it was, nugget too right right i was like damn he dropped the name kd later he dropped <laughs> the name steph and i was like all right this is all i could ever want right here right. um so yeah I, I thought that was that was great from luke now I overthink the hell out of every De'Aaron miss shot when he doesn't hold his follow through. Right. I'm not gonna lie, like, uh, but I think you know, might have been at his cheek. <laughs> right, right. I think yeah. that was only at his nose, not his eye. I'm not really sure. Uh, but I think the follow away thing that he said is really true, especially for De'Aaron. Uh, that was something that was super noticeable. If you look, if you look bad at, back at you know his shot previously in previous seasons, he would like have a natural like fall away to his jumper, um, and I think. I, I'm not sure if you told me that Luke told him or if it was in that clip, but now they're trying to get him not only to jump straight up, but actually jump forward when he takes his threes, right? Or just jump shots in general. Yeah, I think it was just in that clip. I, um, pretty sure there was more to the conversation that I had with Luke, obviously, and anybody that wants to check it out that hasn't, it is on uh, the King's Herald, but I guess that's slightly old news. Um, so to, to get back to where we're at right now, and and De'Aaron's still playing great. Like I said, twenty three points, yeah. five and a half five and a half assists. You mentioned Jesus, these past games have points. been him slumping, quote unquote, right. slumping, and, and he's and like, still at sixteen to eighteen a game, yeah. sixteen four and seven last game. Like I, I think it's totally fine, and he's playing well on defense. Coach, the clip I played earlier is talking about him setting the tone on that end. Like he just looks a little beat up, you know, and like 
I don't know. It's I don't want to speculate bro. too much, but like, I mean, the NBA game is physical as hell. That's man. Like, the thing. I, the NBA I just is got different. to sit close at a couple Stockton games, and it's like that was the most shocking thing. The amount of times people are hitting the floor super hard, it's like holy shit! Like this is a physical ass game. Right. Well, and there's a reason why it's hard to be a star. You know, anybody can be TJ Warren and have your your one off thirty point or you know a week of averaging thirty points a game. But it's tough to do that shit every single night when the other team is game planning for you to to go off. Like if if it's in, I'm sure it's in just about every team scouting report. Don't let De'Aaron Fox get to the rim. It's like uh, I think it was Stan Van Gundy in the playoffs against against Giannis. Build a fucking wall. Like do whatever you have to do to prevent this guy from penetrating. Because like Luke said in your clip right there, like once he gets two feet in the paint. The offense, not just his offense, his percentage chance of scoring at the rim, but, you know, you then collapse Kevin Herter's defender in on him, and that makes Kevin Herter wide open for three, which makes him a 50% shooter from that shot. You know, like, just the impact that he has if you're able to get him going is something that I'm sure every team is aware of and every team is trying to stop. And when you throw on those additional factors, like you're mentioning of just picking up little Nick, you know, little nicks and bruises here and, you know, throw that on top of not feeling well, having a little flu bug. Yeah. Like it's fucking tar. It's, it's hard. It's tough. Uh, and like, this is the maturation of De'Aaron Fox. Like he's got to learn how to do it on a nightly basis, even when those things are, you know, going to be expected of him. Mike Brown said earlier this season, he expects De'Aaron Fox to have those superstar 30 point nights routinely. And he's not going to praise him when he does, because that's what he should do. So, you know, and, and, you know, this is, this is a testament to the Kings roster in total that De'Aaron can have these slip-ups, can have a bad week, and that shit doesn't matter. The team is so deep. There's so many different guys who can give you 20, 15, or the other night we saw Harrison Barnes lead the team with 22 points, and you know there was somebody with 20 points, somebody with yeah. 16 points, somebody with Seven guys points. in double figures. Seven, double there's figures. been three consecutive games of seven people in double figures for the Kings. That is insane. It's almost unheard of. I can't can't imagine a lot of teams are kind of production from all the way down their lineup. Uh, it just makes you so much harder to game plan for, and it it it's a great sign for the future. That again, this is not an anomaly. This offense is legit and has just so many different ways that they can beat you on a given night. Having that many threats makes it like hard to to your point, like have a bad night because yeah. somebody could be off. Like Herder has been slow recently, right? But it you don't even really feel it that much. Like you notice it because he was so on fire before, right? but he still has a, a pressure to him on the perimeter. Like he's right. still going to provide spacing. He's still a smart player, even though while his threes aren't falling last night, he was, what do I have here? One of 11 from three. Holy shit. But he was at the same time, four of seven from inside the arc like I, I still think he's been hitting twos at an okay rate he's got a nice mid-range he still you know cuts when guys are overplaying him and domas will reward that um but it could be hb any night Davion, well, Malik and it completely erases any struggle from herder because you're still getting that same yes. level of production from that position and malik's been crazy like and, and last thing on De'Aaron, like I, I think that there's a lot of value that like even when De'Aaron's having an off night like Everybody talked about that Phoenix game, right? Which was the third loss in a row. Monk dropped 30. Right. But I, I think an important aspect of this, like Malik wasn't being guarded by Mikhail Bridges. 
You know what I mean? Like right. the entire time De'Aaron is struggling, but De'Aaron is still going to draw the best defender. Like right. it's something he pointed out to media last year, which I, I thought was interesting that he felt the need to point it out. <laughs> it was but pointed. I also understand. It was definitely pointed. Yeah. It was like, yo, everybody's all about Tyrese right now, but I'm going to just say like Lou Dort guarded me the whole game. Just so you know, it'd probably be a right. lot harder for him if that was Lou Dort on him. And he's got a damn good point, you know, and I think we're seeing the exact same thing this year. So credit to everybody, but I will say like there is a value in De'Aaron, even the nights that he's not on, that he just is still drawing the best defender. And that says a lot. Um, but Malik Monk, coach is all about him being sixth man of the year right now. He came out uh, <laughs> pregame, I think uh, in the game against Indiana yeah. and just sat down and and typically coach doesn't give like a, a spiel before he starts talking in pregame or anything. We'll get that post game before questions, but pregame usually it just starts with the first question. Coach sat down and decided to just be like, by the way, Malik Monk deserves some consideration for six man of the year. And he kind of echoed that. And and I think James made a joke. James is usually first question. And James made some joke of like, so Malik Monk, like acting like Malik Monk was about to be his question, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, at some point it gets to Mark Jones and Mark Spears. And they must have some inside joke with Coach Brown about it looks like he doesn't wear socks when he's out there but he's got some no-shows on or something. And, and they said they would vote for Malik if he wore socks. And so coach proceeded to take his vans off or one van off, put his foot on the table. Chris, you have a great picture of this on your Twitter. Uh, put his sock on the table and repeat that Malik Monk deserves consideration for the six man of the year award. Malik has been balling throughout Malik's last 10 games. He's averaging just under 23 minutes, but 18.2 points and 4.3 assists on 55% from the field, 37% from three, and 84% from the free throw line. Um, I actually also think he's been playing solid defense. Yeah. I don't think that he's a good defender necessarily when he's out there, but again, he's not a liability. And for everything that he provides on offense is like a three-level scorer that's also a really good passer. Um, like just doing enough on defense, I think is all you can really ask of him when it comes to like some of maybe the physical limitations that come with Malik, but I think he's been right. solid there. Um, I want to start with like, has this surprised you at all? Like when Malik Monk signed to the Kings, I, I knew that was a big get. I just didn't know that it would be like this though. And I'm curious yeah. if you're the yeah. same. Yeah, I definitely didn't think it would be like this. I was pretty nervous. I mean, I I knew Malik had a, a great season last year for the Lakers, but I was also concerned that that was a he when he was at his best with the Lakers was when LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook were out, and it was pretty much Malik Monk is our only offensive weapon. And then before that, he obviously uh, did struggle pretty pretty intensely with uh, with with Charlotte. It just didn't work out there. Charlotte drafted him high. Uh, he had a lot of hype coming out of college. A lot of people, myself included, I thought Malik was the best player on that Kentucky team with him, with De'Aaron, with Bam Adebayo. Malik was their most explosive scorer, and he was incredibly exciting. It was just he didn't really have a position. He was, you know, he's he's even now, he's a super slender guy. He's 6'2", 6'3", so it's not an ideal uh, size for for a shooting guard. But And you, you mentioned his defensive uh, liabilities. So, so, you know, I kind of thought he would be a solid bench player, kind of, you know, he would have his explosive nights, but he would also have a lot of four, six, you know, 
two of nine from the field kind of games where, you know, he, he just, he's either there or he's not. And what we've seen is the complete opposite where it's like, he's either good or he's out of his fucking mind. And especially recently, the dude has been playing out of his mind. Uh, you mentioned, you know, his 30 point game against Phoenix. I mean, you put stats aside, just his highlight plays, his, his explosiveness at the rim, his finishing ability, just how crafty of a finisher he is. His passing ability has been a revelation, something that he says he's had his entire career, but people are just kind of noticing. But Might be a little cap, I'm not going to lie. but Bro, I don't it. know, bro. That fool, the way he's been passing, I'm like, if you've been doing this this whole ass time, I right. feel like somebody would have said something. <laughs> I, I've, I, I have had people that like covered him in Charlotte be like, no, he's always been a good passer. So I'm like, okay, but like, this is different. Like, yeah. this is like, he's making every pass there is. Right. And it's creative. It's like, he had one in like semi transition at De'Aaron yesterday. Yes. Oh my pass, God. Like wrap around. Oh yes. My God. I did not understand like how he yeah. even saw Literally that. Just like <laughs> He's crazy, man. And it's straight up three level scoring too. Like yeah. the three point shot Definition. is obviously there. Yeah, like I mentioned, 36.8% on the year, and that number will continue to go up because he started a little slow. Um, but obviously a good three-point shooter off the bounce and off the catch. I think mm-hmm. it was 41.9% off the catch last year with L.A. Um, he's a good mid-range shooter. He's totally Ooh. willing to take that. Not a good floater. And, pro, I don't know how I slept on this because, like, Balik is known for this, but I didn't watch him that much at college. Like, his athleticism blows me away. I know that this about is that dunk a- last night. Bro, how do you double, double clutch? clutch? How do you double? Like, how is that a dunk? What other human does that? Bro, like, I've seen people lay that up, but also he took off from like two steps in from the free throw line, goes up, comes down completely, and then re-rises up and just like throws it in. He's insane. Nuts. He has like these crazy finishes, reverse Nuts. finishes where he's just contorting like acrobatic shit in the air nightly. on a nightly basis. Dude, every does. game, every game, like the Kings feel like they're guaranteed to have like three highlights at some point in the game. And one of them will be Malik Monk. Right. Like Malik I, will do some shit. I just finished recording with Frank earlier and I, I made this point. I'm curious what you think. You haven't been a Kings fan for, for that long, but, uh, I shouldn't say Kings fan. You haven't been following the Kings for that long. Sorry, Brendan. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Is Malik Monk the flashiest player since Jason Williams? Hmm. Who are some of the other candidates? Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. You're going to laugh when I say them. Maybe like Derek Williams, who had a lot of highlight dunks. Uh, Bro, if you're out there getting the GM to rock whatever the hell those shoes were (laughs) like we haven't even talked about like i i I genuinely do think there's a lot of value that malik monk also provides off the court i think it's very similar in my mind to like how tyrese was off the court like i think that they just have like a general outgoing personality that Mm -hmm. everybody tends to get along with they're also going to interact with absolutely everyone like coach brown has talked about days where maybe he's just not feeling it quite as much but then he sees malik monk talking shit and chopping it up with absolutely everyone and that's just infectious like malik monk said after they lost their three games in a row like he got asked something along the lines of like what's the most important thing to make sure this doesn't keep happening and keep extending into more losses. And he said, just make sure that we're going to stay together. I'm going to make sure that we can't come up. We don't come apart in any sort of way. Like he's talking about going out to dinners. Like 
Malik Monk has been ridiculously good on the court and like there's so much intangibles when it comes to his off the court personality. I mean, he's probably my favorite person to talk to second to coach. So um, Keegan, it, Keegan's like, number two for me. Oh, calm down. Right there with KZ too, or what? No, Keegan just makes me laugh. KZ <laughs> also makes me laugh in a different way, but Keegan to me is fucking hilarious. Keegan is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's, that's what you get from. Um, yeah. It, it's been the passing that's really shocked me with Malik, yeah. but when we talk about his six man of the year race, let's do it. I got three other guys mm-hmm. that have stood out so far. Obvious one, and honestly, pop probably favorite right now. Again, Malik's averages so far this year: fourteen point seven points, four point three assists on forty eight percent from the field, thirty six percent from three, eighty nine percent from the line. Those fourteen points do go up to eighteen over the last ten games, and I think he'll probably closer be closer to that eighteen mark when we reach the end of the season. Um, but I think the probable favorite is Benedict Matherin right now in Indiana. Yeah. Um, and he's going to be right up there for rookie of the year as well. But that's 18.5 points, 28 minutes a game, uh, 42% from the field, 39% from three, 80% from the free throw line. Um, and, and it's primarily just scoring that you're getting from Matherin, but he's closing games as well. And then I think there's two other in this conversation, Christian Wood. And these are all guys that honestly like should probably be starting. And I get why in Sacramento's case that Malik isn't, but they're all closing games. Um, but Christian Wood is the other one for Dallas, who's got 16.8 points, along with 7.7 rebounds in there as well. 55% from the field, 40% from three, and somehow 67% from the free throw line. I don't know. He's on his Kevin Herter shit, apparently. Um, Norman Powell is the last one that I have here um, who was just off. That was the one that shocked me the most. Um, but spent a majority of his games coming off the bench this year. Let me check that exact number. Yeah, 17 of his games off the bench this year, which I would imagine is probably all the games that he's played throughout the course of this season. Um, but 16.3 points, 48% from the field, 43% from three, and 81% from the free throw line. Um, I, I mean, I think the way that Malik kind of conducts an offense when he's out there and orchestrates everything is his edge. And I think that, also, his personality is probably going to play a little bit of a factor in this, but it's not like Benedict Matherin is lacking personality when he's out here saying LeBron has to prove <laughs> that he's better than me, which is one of the funniest freaking things I've ever heard. Oh, um, but when you kind of hear those other guys, like, does it feel realistic that Malik is kind of in this race? It's still early, but yeah, I'm actually I was looking up the betting odds because that's usually to me like the the best indicator of a where the public thinks it's going and b you know kind of who who is in the race. And actually, the the betting favorite right now is Russell Westbrook. Uh, a lot of that could <laughs> have to do with Laker fandom and the the namesake of it. Uh, so that I think that's interesting. Jordan Poole is also up there. Malcolm Brogdon is also in there, uh, and then. The fourth and fifth are are the names you mentioned: Benedict Matherin, Christian Wood, and uh, and then Malik Monk comes in uh, next after that. So, you know, if if you're competing against those names, I absolutely think Malik has a chance. I think a big part of the six man of the year race does have to do with with the standings, and and you know, not necessarily you know if it's not like the best player or the best bench player on the best team gets the award. It is definitely, you just have to be a, a good or above average NBA team and, and Excel off the bench. So I think it, at, you know, when we look at the end of the year, Benedict Matherin, 
I think probably falls off if I had to guess, just because he'll, he'll hit a rookie wall eventually um, Christian Wood, And also maybe Matherin sneaks into the starting lineup as well. And and maybe gets more starts than, than, uh, than reserve games. I think Christian Wood is probably the best shout. He, it doesn't, I don't think uh, Dallas is going to insert him into the starting lineup. Um, And he's just scoring wise been on a tear. He puts up double doubles almost every night. Uh, That's going to be a tough one for them to beat. But Malik is absolutely right in there. I mean, he's, if, you know, with the amount of highlights he has, with the narrative of the Kings turning things around and him being such a big part of it. Um, I, I think he's absolutely going to be in the race, which is just about all you can ask for. Uh, it kind of just depends on how good both the team and Malik finish the year. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I think we're going to get to it probably in the next episode here. You were kind of laying it out, but yeah. there's a handful of guys that I think are going to be considered for awards and like yeah. the narrative around this Kings team, the whole beam team, um, and they're really turning it around. Like this team seems legit. We we talked earlier about maybe reconsidering the ceiling of this team, and I think it might be time to revisit that conversation after this road trip. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to get a pretty good feel for what this team maybe looks like. Um, but with the way they've been trending defensively, man, I, I'm feeling good, and I, I think that Malik can totally find himself in that conversation. I actually do think Russell Westbrook will be in that conversation too. Like I I think that he's been playing okay. I've never been a big Westbrook guy. I'm struggling to speak today, but I've never been a big Westbrook guy, but I've like somehow became a defender of him of sorts because I feel like he's unfairly getting totally scapegoated in LA. And it's like, I don't know, don't need to get it too much, but you take three guys that historically have always been best when you surround them by shooters. And it's like, what if we put them all on the same team and don't give them any shooting? Like, what do you expect to happen here? Uh, so anyways, I, I think Russ is part of that race. I think, like you said, Christian Wood is part of it. Malcolm Brogdon and Jordan Poole are great shouts. Maybe Bones Highland like sneaks in there or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting, but I think Malik totally has a chance. I think that um, coach got asked by um, Mark Haynes. I almost said brother Haynes just to keep going with the joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> that I decided against it, but still said it anyways. So, you know, um, but Mark Haynes, shout out to Mark for oh, asking, uh, is there anything that Malik could do to get you to, to kind of wear some stuff? And um, he said, no. And he cut that off real quick. But then he went along by saying that, um, you know, actually, if he does get six minute of the year, then, then maybe I'll let him pick something that I wear. So, <laughs> So there we go. That's uh, as if we didn't have enough reason to hope for, exactly. for Malik getting six man of the year. There's another one to add on top of it. Um, the one other thing I want to get to before we kind of preview this upcoming six game, six game road trip that is just absolute hell for the Kings is kind of do a little bit of a Stockton check-in. Um, they've played 10 games. I don't really care about their record, to be honest. Um, and to be blunt, they haven't been good. I want to say they're three and seven. I really should have that here. The G League site messes with me way more than it should the g league um, site is yeah it's it's it, really it, really hard to find g league stats even on a nightly basis for no good reason it's right. tough um but i i think i've been to three of the stalking games this year i just went to their back-to-back that they played against james james wiseman and golden state and wiseman looked okay um he had one game that maybe he was kind of uh, risen up some girls courtside and that might have had a little bit of extra motivation going on and he I don't think it's a coincidence that he played really well on that first night when maybe you know maybe it's not someone he's talking to maybe his family or something but he seemed like he had a little extra motivation and was definitely talking to them or making faces or whatever after he did anything 
and then the next game nobody's there and he's just quiet. Like I don't <laughs> I don't know if that's a coincidence or what, but you know, take that for what you will. Um, I, I think Nimi's held his own just to go through the main. I, I think there's four guys actually, but to go through um the two ways, starting with I think Nemias Kate has played 10 games, 19 points, um, along with 8.4 rebounds. It's kind of just, and I'll get out the rest of the numbers real quick, I guess, as well. Three assists, 3.4 turnovers, so more turnovers and assists than we've seen. Um, but 70% from the field, ridiculously efficient. He's only taking about half a triple a game and knocking down 33% on super small sample. Um, four free throws a game. Again, G League is two for one. You take one free throw that's worth both the points. So just keep that in mind when you're thinking about these free throw numbers. Um, but 60% from the free throw line. He's been really... How many blocks? Good, good at finishing. Um, that's a great question. 2.3, actually. He blocks the shit out the ball, as he yeah, should. I think that's his, you know, I don't know what kind of conversation you want to get into with it, but I think that's his potential, you know, entry to to possibly getting a couple minutes with the big boy club is this team does desperately need rim protection. And, you know, if... I don't want to wish a bonus goes down, but if, if Mezzi goes down and Rashawn Holmes continues to struggle, maybe they, they take a look at, at Nimi and that could potentially be a, a short, you know, stop, stop gap for, for rim protection, something this team desperately needs. No, I, I totally think the same. And, you know, it's interesting, like a lot of the offense they run is pretty much exactly what you see with Sacramento. Like they're mm -hmm. running a lot of their offense through their bigs. And I think that's why Nimi has those three assists, but also 3.4 turnovers a game. Like, right. I, I think that's just been an adjustment. And at the season opener, I got to talk to Bobby Jackson, the coach down there a little bit and ask him about Caden. And I think one of the things he mentioned, and I'm paraphrasing here, I don't have his exact wording right, but something along the lines of like, we just got to get that fire out of him a little bit more often. And I think that's totally what you see with Nimi. You know, like he's put on a lot of weight these last couple of years. If you look at his early Utah State days, he was really thin. Like, not just compared to where he is now. He was just straight up like a thin guy. Mm -hmm. And at, at this point, he's got a lot of muscle on his body. He talked at the beginning of summer league that that kind of being the big adjustment is getting used to playing at this weight. I think because he's used to playing at a smaller weight, he has a lot of finesse moves. But the physicality, I think, is something he's still probably getting used to because you have nights where he drops like, I forget the exact number, something along the lines of like 34 and 16 or something. Yeah, like something along the lines of like 34, 16 against Wiseman the first time they match up, right? Um, and then you see another game where it's like, then you come out and have like 16 and three. And it's like, he's never been a great rebounder for his size, but he's had moments throughout the course of this year. So I think the time in Stockton has been good for him. I don't think that he's somebody that's, that's ready right now or anything. Um, but I, I think that, that you've seen progress there and it's been encouraging. Um, mm. Keon Ellis, my guy. Mm is that dog. his usual dog self on defense 1.9 steals per game um initiating a little that's bit ridiculous. more ridiculous that is a lot that's ridiculous uh, I, I don't i haven't found g league deflection numbers but i'm gonna go ahead and say that he's up there yeah i gotta um, leave the g league in, in deflection yeah, he, he's a stupid defender man like and and the guys that are playing heavy minutes are playing heavy minutes like we're gonna get the team on a sec and i have a clip from getting to talk to him after one of these Santa Cruz games, but he's playing 37 minutes a night. Keon's playing 34. Wessel Wundu's right. playing 34, 32 for Kata. So these guys are getting a lot of minutes, and I think that's tiring. But for Keon, 15.9 points. Um, I mentioned the 1.9 steals. Also got 3.6 assists in there with 1.9 turnovers. I think that playmaking is something that um, I thought was a really 
big point of needed improvement for him. He was a guy that I think only had like three or four more assists than turnovers throughout his couple years that he spent at Alabama. So he was just never somebody great with the ball in his hands. But I think the big adjustment for him this year has been um, he's just talking a lot on mm-hmm. defense. He, he Apparently him and Chima are fairly close. And, and Chima was telling me that uh, Keon is – is trying to be more of a leader on that end that he's naturally kind of a more quiet guy, but he's really trying to talk there. And you've seen him kind of getting on the ass of some of his guys when they're making defensive uh, mistakes. So I've liked what I've seen from Keon. You still got that 37% from three. He's a damn good three point shooter. So um, that's what it is there. And then when it gets to Chima, um, he's been a really good finisher, 51% from the field. He is taking two triples a game and only knocking down 17%. Like he's not a good three point shooter. Just to be blunt, I think he had like three or four in that second game against uh, Santa Cruz and didn't make a single one. Like they don't look good. Defenses aren't guarding him out there. That's not what he's there for though. Like Bobby talked about like rebounding is probably the main thing that's going to get him to the NBA, to be honest. And I think he's a really good finisher too, but 11.1 rebounds a game. He's in the top five in, in uh, G League in rebounds per game. He's a stupidly good rebounder. He's almost got three offensive rebounds a game. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's really good in that aspect. And he's still got 51% of the field. But I, I tried to ask him at some point um, in the conversation that I'll, I'll play a different portion of in a sec. Like, hey, you've been finishing really good at the rim this year. Like, what's led to that success? He, he cut me off and he's like, no, nah, I've, been, I've been really bad there. He's like, usually I'm trying to get like around like 70% at the field. I was like, bro, you need to cut yourself some slack. Like right. 70? Like you're crazy. Like yeah. I get that's it. Like uh, elite, but, elite. That's right. Right. Like Rudy but, Gobert at the rim. <laughs> right. But that's, that's how he is, you know? So I, I think that he's been playing really well in that aspect. Um, he's been moving a lot. He is in a two way. He's on their main roster, the Sacramento roster, which is why it's always reported. And James Ham is always the one that, that uh, does report on it and post some sort of funny gif each time. Cause it seems to be a little bit of a running joke. When Chima moves from either Stockton to Sacramento, he gets recalled or assigned. Um, and that, that just has to be announced every time because he's not part of the main ro- or he is part of the main roster. Mm-hmm. So it's just, every time you see that, it just means he's practicing with one team or the other and they're forced to announce it. Yeah. So I asked him a little bit about kind of what the process has been of moving back and forth between uh, those two teams so often and kind of what this, his first NBA year has been like for him. So we'll get to that real quick right here. All right, go ahead, Brian. I was hoping to ask you a little bit about the year kind of in general and, yeah. and like starting with the process of moving back and forth between Sacramento and Stockton. Yeah. I can only imagine how tiring that is, but like just what has kind of that all been like for you? I mean, it's like you said, it's a process and um, I'm learning. I feel like that's going to be the most important word for me this year, just learning. And um, yeah, it's, it's challenging, but like it's also exciting because I'm not comfortable and I like knowing that I need to get better, knowing that I need to, you know, just improve on things to be, you know, a regular rotation NBA player. And, you know, I'm grateful Sacramento gave me the opportunity to be that, and, you know, my time will come, and I'll be ready for it. What, what have those conversations been like with, like, Mike Brown, Jay Triani, and, and the rest of the Kings staff, and even with Bobby, Jack, of, like, what they want to focus on, like, down here? Yeah, they, they, they want, they're very, you know, tough on me, but they're also very honest, and they... They've been the same way since before I got here in person. You know, they want me to be energizer, defender, tough, rebounder, do do the little things and just do it consistently. And, you know, now that I'm here in the G League playing 38 minutes a game, like, now, now I know it's, it's tough. And, like, Mike Brown always says that 
the things that he asked me aren't easy, and but he believes in me that I can do it. So if he believes in me, I got to make him, I got to make him proud, and I got to prove him right. And I know it's going to take some time, and that's why I'm happy. I'm. Dude, you have to love Chima. Excuse yeah, the little audio that, bro. issues, but like Chima's just that guy. Like, yeah. if you don't love Chima, I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean that's the exact kind of mentality you want him to have. Like being comfortable or trying to to be comfortable being uncomfortable is a really big thing, especially you know when you're in a situation like he is. Like that's that is not easy. Uh, have you so, seen the LeBron clip where he is talking no. to Marcus Rashford in a? The oh. barbershop thing or whatever, yeah. and he, yeah. Rashford says, uh, "That's my favorite." Coach quote. always told me, "Yeah, yeah, quote. I've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable." Yeah. Surprise! Like, that's my favorite quote. That's, that's why favorite I, quote. I tell everybody that's my favorite quote. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I love Chiba, love his effort, and like you know, it, it's interesting to me that you say like, yeah, rebounding is where he's gonna. Or, or Bobby said, rebounding is where he'd be an NBA player. That's not <laughs> that was not what I would have thought, but. Um, you know, it really makes sense because that is his kind of game, just being an energizer kind of guy, being, you know, Kings fans will be familiar with Reggie Evans and, and Quincy AC, guys like that, where it's like you're you're not worried about, you know, they'll they'll finish with four points if you give them 30 minutes, but they'll also get 15 rebounds on some Dennis Rodman type shit. Totally. And apparently I don't know how to drink water. <laughs> I'm I heard that. dying <laughs> over here. <clears throat> so excuse me for that. Um it's a struggle out here, but I, I think Chima has been great, man. She was like my favorite person to interact with. I think he's dealing it with it with the right mindset and getting all that opportunity is, is for sure. Got to be tiring. I got to ask coach Brown a little bit about him. Uh, Bobby Jackson as well. And I'm planning to write that up here within the next couple of days. So keep a lookout on the Kings Herald as I keep trying to fucking digest my water. Apparently um, <coughs> Jesus Christ. So the last thing I want to get to here with you, Chris, this six game road trip that the Kings Ooh. are about to go on is brutal. It's brutal. Probably the hardest road trip of the year. Um, I haven't looked through in a little while, but I, I think that's probably safe to say they're going yeah. to Milwaukee on the seventh. And then they get a day break before they play in Cleveland against the Cavaliers one day break before they then play the New York Knicks at MSG and then you got a back-to-back that will be in Philadelphia and then in Toronto. That Toronto game will be the third game in four nights. And then you end it out with one day break after that Toronto back-to-back. And then you are playing the Detroit Pistons on the 16th, the final night of the back-to-back, which seems like one of the easier games. But also, mm-hmm. this is going to be your fourth game in seven nights, I want to say. Like, that is quietly, like, I mean, it's probably the worst team in the league. At least they were the last time they played when it came to record. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I, I, I want to say that one is a, should be a win. And there's really two wins in my mind when we're talking about this road trip, but even that game can be tough. Like, are, are you with me that like two and four is a successful road trip or where are you kind of at with this? Yeah, I think two and four is where you want to get to. Uh, if you get there, you can have your you can have your gripes. I'm sure you know at that point you'll you'll probably lose a game. You probably should have felt like you won or uh, whatever the case may be. But if you can if you can get two, then then you're sitting okay. Still, you can reevaluate after and be like, okay, well we took our we took some bumps, we took some bruises there. But, you know, it does open up a little bit after that uh, as they play the Hornets, the Lakers, the Wizards, uh, and then a back-to-back against the Nuggets after they come home. 
So there, there is a little bit of light at the end of that tunnel. So, you know, like you said, you, you end with Detroit, maybe you can pick up a win there and then just hope that you can sneak one between the Bucks, Cavs, Knicks, Raptors, and Sixers. Um, those are the Kings play five straight Eastern conference play in teams. Uh, that's, and it's on the other side of the country. It's not like they're going to, you know, whatever Atlanta, Florida, which is also on the other side of the country, but we're talking clear across, uh, to like New York and stuff like that. And, you know, going from New York to Toronto on a back-to-back, it's not going to be an easy road trip, uh, you know, on the floor or off the floor for this team. So, if they can get two wins, I think we all have to be okay with that. Anything more than that, if they go three and three, I would call that successful by any stretch, no matter how it gets done. Uh, and if they get more than that, then oh, <laughs> oh man, oh man, be freaking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then this whole conversation changes for sure. Um, right. They're currently eight and four on the road, five and or eight and four at home. Excuse me, five on five and five on the road. I'm saying two and four on this trip, yeah. but like. Honestly, the way the team has been playing, like you really don't know. Like, I think I mean they've already this year. I think it's it's going to be tough to beat them twice, but you know they they have the formula. The two hardest games by far, like the two games that like I'm just expecting losses. Yeah, this will be interesting. I'm expecting losses, but also that doesn't mean like I I believe that this team is good enough to win on any given night, right? Mm -hmm. On the right night. But I think the two is Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, is that one of your two? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, Milwaukee's just stupid. They're full strength now. Middleton came back good. the other day. Yes. Brooke Lopez is actually playing like defensive player of the year candidate. And the other defensive player of the year candidate is right next to him in Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, right. um, and and who do you have guard Giannis? Like, I don't know. what. Yeah, yeah My question. I don't even. Yeah. That's working for 90% of the NBA, but. Right. Especially for the Kings. And then the other one that we may have different, but we'll see. Um, it. It, it's Toronto for me. Brendan, yeah, that's why you're my guy. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that um, the length of that team and and Sacramento has decent size to themselves now as well. When you look at like their starting five, for example, where Kevin Herter's playing the two and he's six, seven. But like, I forget the exact number. Most of Toronto's guys are in between. Just say the entire thing. It's okay to just say their entire roster is six, nine. And then they have Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. So like I if. I don't know who guards Pascal Siakam, um, but say that it's, let's say Harrison Barnes, right? And then OG Ananobi is, I guess, Keegan Murray? Yeah, Um, he's probably the worst offensive player of their forwards. So then who's guarding Scotty Barnes? Like, just that right there. They have more depth, but like, I think that, those guys that we just listed could be different matchups, but I think like point being like, you don't have three guys to match up with those three. I think you put Domas on Pascal. Uh, He's going to really struggle, you know, just with the foot speed of Pascal and the, the offensive create creativity. Pascal loves to do that spin move. I don't think Domas can stay in front of him uh, if that's the case, but uh, I think, yeah, the best, the best way of matching up with them would probably be Domas on Pascal. Keegan on on OG and HB on on Scotty Barnes, but yeah, and then you're putting Herder on like Coloco, who I'm pretty sure is who they right. start, who's actually a center, but like he's pretty light. I guess you get away with that, and then you can't focus so much on those guys that you lose track of Fred Van Vliet, right. who's been an All Star, like Gary Trent Jr., Gary who can Trent. go off on any given night. Kings legend. Um, I mean, like, I'm just looking at the <laughs> it's just insane. I mean. 
Pascal, OG, Scotty Barnes, Chris Boucher, uh, Precious Achua, or Otto Porter, Thaddeus Young. Otto Porter, They yeah. have Juancho Hernan Gomez, Colocolo, like you mentioned. They just have so many guys who are in that 6'7 to 6'9 range that it's just like that's the Kings' biggest weakness is they don't – it's really – HB Keegan and, and KZ are the are the only guys with that kind of size and length, and they they we have not seen a lineup so far this season with all three of those guys involved. Maybe that's the night. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. So we'll we'll kind of have to see there. And that's the third game in four nights. Yeah. Like I, I think the fact On that it's second, second night of a back to back right makes it super tough. Um, and then the other two we could touch on real quick is this Cleveland and Philadelphia. Honestly, the Cleveland one also feels really tough. Like, I feel like Cleveland's going to want to get their get back. You know, yeah. it's the only other matchup they're going to have all year. Mm-hmm. Um, ESPN has ticket prices for all these games, and there's a $9, there's $9 tickets available for this Cleveland game, just for what it's worth. <laughs> that distracted me for a second. Very strange. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Cleveland is going to be definitely one of the tougher ones too, even though the Kings showed they could come out on top earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you feel about Philly? Like how's a Domas and beat matchup? It's not going to be great for Domas defensively. I can tell you that. I mean, Domas has, has done well as a rim protector, but he really hasn't had to deal with somebody that is the focal presence of a team's offense. I mean, they, they really do feed and beat in the post and he goes to work. Uh, Domas is incredibly strong. Joel Embiid is seven, three. Like he he's just a much larger man. Not many people are able to com- contain Joel Embiid. Uh, he's he's an absolute monster in the paint and on the perimeter as well. It's going to be a really rough night for 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 Domas. But um, I think besides that, the Kings honestly match up pretty well with them. Obviously, uh, James Harden isn't playing. He I think is gonna eye a return somewhere around that time so maybe there's a possibility we see james harden but um you know no, Philly, tyrese maxi tyrese maxi is a problem but him against De'Aaron fox is going to be incredibly fun on both ends of the floor well maxi maxi will be out actually he's got three to four weeks uh fractured oh, his foot see i did not know that so that's great uh that not not great for tyrese maxi obviously but great for the <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, the, I, it, that could be a matchup where, you know, when I when I really look at it, maybe the Kings have the advantage in that one. Um, but stopping Joel Embiid is going to be first and foremost on the game plan that night. And uh, much like Giannis Antetokounmpo, I, I don't know what your answer is. No, I don't either. It's got to be team defense, uh, which has seemed to be improved. But Doubling I mean, him, right? Yeah, you you got to like on the catch, like yeah. yeah. You got to you front him and have somebody behind him and just honestly just make make anybody else beat you. I'm, I'm I, I don't think Philly has too many uh, lethal scores on their team without Maxi and without Harden. So just make Tobias like Harris go have crazy. a 30 point yeah. night. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, and this will be the Aaron Brewski matchup, man. We get Melton and Fox. <laughs> DeAndre so. Melton. Shout Anthony out, Melton. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> shout out Brewski for that one. Uh, wild, wild. I, I, yeah, yeah. You know, there's that. So I think that two and four is totally like, that's what I'm expecting on this road trip. Anything more than that, I will be happy. Anything less, I would be slightly disappointed. Um, but then they come back and then get six games on the road or six game at, games at home, excuse me. Quick little two-game road trip. You get five more at home. So, and then again, you you're at home for a little while, you get two on the road and you come back for a while. Like they're about to have a lot of road ga- uh, home games 
after this road trip. So I I think we're going to learn a lot about this Kings team and see sort of what caliber their defense has really picked up to because they're playing Mm -hmm. against some good teams that really give them some size problems. And Mm -hmm. we'll see if, if that's something that sort of comes back to bite them or something that they could potentially move past. Um, Anything else, my guy? Oh, um, I don't think you and I talked about the uh, the Pacer game too much, did we? I don't, I don't remember. I don't think we so, no. What, what do you think about the Buddy Hield booing situation? I mean, I didn't think it would be that bad. I didn't think he'd get booed every time he throws a ball. I, I thought that, like, when he first got announced, Tyrese got announced, Tyrese got a bunch of cheers, right? Standing ovation, pretty much. Yep. Buddy comes out and it's like it was mixed. It was kind of on the right side of us. You heard some boos, but I felt like more more so than not, you kind of heard cheers. And that's kind of what I was expecting on the night. Right. But then it was like every time he touched the ball, he started getting booed. And Damien, D'Lo Casey, ESPN 1320, Damien had a great shout of like the first time that Buddy has a horrible turnover. <laughs> the place is going to go crazy. And it absolutely did. Yeah. That was a great shout um, and totally came to fruition. But like, I thought it was over the top, man. He spent what five years in sack. He's the leading scorer, or he's the leading um, three-point shot maker in thank you. history. Yeah. Yes, in franchise history. Like I, I think that Buddy spent a lot of time in sack. I think that his frustrations were warranted. I don't love the way that everything ended and the way that he exited and everything. I, to be honest, hated watching Buddy Hill play basketball his last two years. It's like straight up hated it. But I think that like. I, I'm about acknowledging the amount of time that he put into the organization, right. I guess. And I, I just thought it was a little weird. I'm never going to tell people how to fan. I get it. Um, but I just thought it was weird. And it's just not the way that I guess I would have gone about it. Right. I feel the same exact way. And like, like you said, I'm not going to tell people how to fan. And personally, I think, I think uh, to the fans credit, it, it had a, uh, at least for the start of the game had a positive impact on what they wanted to see it, yeah, buddy missed his first three shots of, of the game. And like you mentioned, had, had a bad turnover go off his leg and uh, you know, it, it clearly got to him and amped him up a little bit more. And I think we saw a similar thing with Marvin where he, you know, gets booed from the jump. It creates a lot of uh, adrenaline going and, you know, I'm, you know, if you ever play under some serious adrenaline or some under some serious pressure in a high stakes game, you being amped up, like when you take your first shot, you don't feel it. Like normally, you know, you can kind of gauge like, oh, put a little power on it. Oh, you know, try and hit the front of the rim. When you're amped up like that, you have no sense of anything. Your body is just on autopilot. And uh, I think it absolutely played an effect into how he played. So, you know, good on the fans for for getting what they wanted. But I was not a fan of how they fanned. I'm the same. I, I thought it was weird. Um, but I understand, like, the frustrations surrounding right. everything that happened with Buddy. So, right. um, overtime segment. Like, oh, I, I didn't oh, prep you for this. T-O-T. You got your Spotify wrapped available? Oh, god! Possibly. I Can we go through these Spotify five? Wrapped. I and if, if there's a certain... A uh, person that that made great albums in years prior that's just totally yeah. gone off the fucking he wagon is, recently. We can just leave that one out. You don't have to worry about that. I've not listened to that person in a long same, time. Same here, bro. Uh, yeah, yeah. We don't need to rant. We don't that, need. To, what we, the we, shit? We How? Not, what the shit? We do not need to touch that. Let me see where everybody's done good things, especially, <laughs> especially. We're going with especially here, huh? Let's not. 
gonna He's touch insane. that one. No, I'm with oh, you. So uh, my top artist is and I am definitely a rap guy. Um I had Polo G one. I was admittedly in the top 0.1% of Polo G listeners. Wow. I'm a huge Polo G guy. I'm not going to lie. Um, two was Big Sean, which shocked me. Three, I got Lil Wayne. Four is Drake. I, I don't feel like I'm a huge Drake guy, but like Drake is just everywhere. And he does have, <laughs> I, I do like a lot of Drake songs. Um, fifth is. Uh, it's pronounced black, but with a six at the beginning. Uh, six la- I call him six. So I go lack. with six lack, but apparently it's pronounced <laughs> black. Um, but that is my five. I'm curious what five you got, my guy. Oh, here we go. I was trying to find where I can access my Spotify wrapped. Uh, let me get my top five. I can tell you right now, I'm pretty confident Drake was number one. Uh, I am a Drake guy, and uh, I'm not. I'm not going to apologize for it. Uh, <laughs> Drake has been my guy since day one. Since best I ever had. Actually, before that, I was a big Degrassi watcher. So, Jeez. Uh, I knew like when they were like, <laughs> "Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy makes real music" because he would rap in the show, and I was like, "This is my guy." <laughs> uh, and so, when I found out he was making music, I definitely was was quick on that. And uh, sorry, I'm just trying to figure out. Yeah, you're good. Here we go. I listened to 784 artists, but Drake was my number one. Uh, I was in the top 4% of Drake listeners, which I feel like is a big, <laughs> there's a lot, there's of, a lot of Drake, Drake. listeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so for the fact that I was a uh, top four percentile probably speaks a lot. My top artist, here we go. Oh, okay. This is actually, I, I don't know why I was so upset at my Spotify rap. It's honestly pretty accurate. I guess it's just tough sometimes to look in the mirror. Uh, <laughs> my top artist was Drake. Uh, number two was Frank Ocean, which Ooh. I'm more than okay with. Uh, Kendrick was three. Oh, see, I apologize. The, the, he who shall not be named was four. Yeah, yeah, we will uh, leave it. And Childish Gambino was five. I think I'm more just upset that none of those are like none of those guys except for Drake released music this year. So yeah. <laughs> that just tells me that I was absolutely not on game this year, uh, which Kendrick I did already way. know, but it again was just tough to have it shown in my face like that. Yeah, <laughs> is essentially what I'm saying. I'm completely washed. The point. I don't know what these young kids are listening to these days. <laughs> uh, would you say Polo Polo T? Oh, <laughs> calm down, calm down. I ain't got no Yeet or NBA Young Boy on here. Okay, let's calm down. <laughs> I don't know, bro. If 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 Dante would have stayed here another year, I feel like. He oh would've... Jesus! Yeah, Dante is a uh, seems to be an NBA Young Boy guy, which is about the most unsurprising thing I ever. Who do you imagine. think had the? Uh, had the funniest, in our opinion, funniest Spotify wrapped. Whose top five artists would have been the funniest on the team? Huh. Um, I think De'Aaron's would surprise a lot of people. I don't know what he listens to. I think you, you've you told me what I, I you've think heard De'Aaron's, to, just based on like the things that he's posted and songs that he shared on his social, are probably mm-hmm. a little bit more like emotional songs right. than, than we would think. Like I think there's like still a big, definitely like, hip-hop yeah. and all that. Big like but, poetic rap kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, not the same not logic, but like logic esque. Yeah, I don't think logic, but I get no. what you're saying. I right. get what you're saying. Um, it might be like, I mean, shit. Like, does Keegan even listen to music, dude? Like, what? I I couldn't even begin to guess what Keegan's Spotify Wrapped would be. I'm I mean, like. Think. This is like a, a Family Feud question of like, can you even get somebody top five? Like surveys, like 
it's like Morgan Wallen or something. It's some country. I was definitely artist. thinking country. Keegan, I mean, he's from Iowa, so it's probably a decent shout. But yeah, feels like a, you know what? No, nah, I got it. Lil Wayne's for sure in there. <laughs> is it? Is it <laughs> just because he got put on at practices or what? I don't know. It just feels like Lil Wayne is somebody who'd be like, yeah, Lil Wayne's my guy. Like, I, I yeah. I mean, maybe That's Fifty Cent at this point. You know, Fifty Cent apparently 50 hit cent. your boys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think that KZ's would have me dead because it just wouldn't be what I expect. Somebody told me when I was asking my Ox question at Media Day or Hawks question, whatever the hell y'all. I think say. we figured out by the way who Kevin Herter trusts least on the Hawks because <laughs> this Trey Young fiasco. Has, it's a little wild. Very, very it's a little wild. I think it'd be KZ because somebody said that KZ bumps nothing but future, right. and I think that somebody that only listens to one thing. Right. Like the next like four are probably pretty wild and random. And I think just for like the personality that KC seems to have towards media that like it would just be totally opposite of kind of the impression we have. Right. I don't know. I couldn't even begin to imagine Keegan's though. Like there's like I, Andy Grammer on there, like Beethoven or some shit. Like I have no clue, dude. Uh, there's definitely country music on his for sure. I feel like TDs would be like the most like underground. He to me feels like he listens to some real like country rap. I mean, he's yeah. from Mississippi, and that's probably why I feel that way. But yeah, I mean, like Mezzi and Davion might have like their own shit on SoundCloud or something, though. Like, yeah, they could be out there. You yeah. know, I could I could see it. Yeah, off night, off night on SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> About it. So, all right, man. I think that's all I got for you. Um, yeah, let us know if you got any of our yeah. our same Spotify rap. Let us know who you think listens to what on the team, yeah. <laughs> and we can just totally speculate and be irresponsible here. I'm all right. for it. Yep. Um, and what you think is going to go on for this road trip for Sacramento? So I, I'm pretty optimistic about how the team's been performing so far. Um, and yeah, I think that's all I got. So for myself and Chris Watkins of Sacktown Sports 1140, Return of the Roar podcast. You said you just recorded something with Frank today. Yeah. Is that right? Yes, there you I go. Did. Definitely go check that out. And then all the pre and post game you've been doing, Kings Weekly, every 11 to noon on uh, every Saturday, right? Yes, sir. Got that down. Um, and that's it. And then take a look at the Kings Herald for uh, my own work and all the other great guys and gals there as well. Take a look at their Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoy this episode of the Kings Wolf podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days.